0: Hello there everyone this is nurse mo and i am so excited that you're back here with me for the straight a nursing podcast this is episode 130 and today we'll be talking about tracheostomy emergencies so you can feel prepared and confident for whatever comes your way in clinical or on the job before we dive into that, though, I want to take a quick moment for our listener shout out to thank Brie for writing in to rate and review the podcast. And Brie writes this, I've never really been a podcast person. However, I was recommended to this podcast. And let me tell you, you will not regret listening. I'm currently in an ABSN program. So this podcast has been my best friend, driving, showering, cooking, you name it, straighting nursing has been on. I'm obsessed with the pop quizzes too. Thank you Nurse Mo. Thank you so much Bree for taking the time to pause in your busy day and rate and review the podcast. I'm so glad that you're using it as a way to continue on with your life because life does not stop when nursing school starts, and that's basically why I started this podcast in the first place. So thank you so very much. So as you guys know, I'm a huge Proponent of being prepared for the absolute worst things that could happen so that if they do happen, which they don't often, but if they do, you can feel confident. Even if they don't happen, knowing that you know what to do is going to relieve a fair amount of your clinical stress, whether that's through nursing school or even when you're working as a nurse. So today we'll be talking about tracheostomy. Emergencies. So, you absolutely should be prepared for things to happen. They do happen. Of course, the norm is that they don't, and that's what we always hope for, but that's no reason not to know what to do should the unexpected happen. And that would be a tracheostomy emergency. So, there are three basic types. You can kind of group tracheostomy emergencies into these three basic types, and those are occlusion dislodgement and hemorrhage and we'll talk about each one of these okay so first we'll talk about occlusion of the tracheostomy so let's say your patient has a tracheostomy and you've heard in report that they have very thick, very copious secretions, and maybe they just have a tracheostomy for airway patency. They're not really on a ventilator. Maybe they just have a, what's called the trach mask, which is basically like putting an oxygen mask up against the tracheostomy. So they're getting a little bit of supplemental oxygen, but they're breathing on their own. They're not on a ventilator. But they've got really thick and copious secretions. And you've got the patient on the monitor because maybe they're in the ICU for some other condition that they're there for. They're probably not even there for their tracheostomy. They just happen to have one, okay? This would be most likely your patient with a chronic tracheostomy. And you hear the monitor alarm going off and you look up and you see that the patient's O2 saturation level has dropped down to the 60s and your heart drops (laughs) with that oxygen saturation drop as well. So, knowing what to do in that moment could be life saving for that patient. You know that they have really thick secretions, so you have a high index of suspicion that there's an occlusion in the tracheostomy from their secretions. So, you hustle into the room already kind of having a good guess about what could possibly be going on. And when you go into the room, you can see that the patient is struggling to get in breath. You know, they look really restless. They look super agitated. They're squirming around and maybe even banging on the bed rails and mouthing, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. No air. Just whatever they may be saying to indicate that they're not getting any airflow. So what are you going to do about it? So this patient, again, on a trach mask, he doesn't have inline suctioning. So if the patient is hooked up to a ventilator, the suctioning apparatus is what we call an inline suctioning. And when that's in place, all your suctioning equipment basically is built into the system. And it's right there. And it's super easy to do. The patient who has that chronic tracheostomy, who's not on a ventilator, won't have that. But you still need to be able to clean clear that occlusion. So what I would do is I would crank up my oxygen with one hand while I grab a suction kit with the other. Okay, I'm going to assume that I've got both things within arm's reach, right? Suction kits do require sterile procedure. So you got to get really good at putting on your sterile gloves quickly. Okay, so you guys need that's a skill that you should practice over and over and over again, get those sterile gloves on very quickly. And then you will sterile suction your patient by hand. As you do that, you pull a great big glob of mucus out and that patient's breathing difficulty starts to ease and you watch their oxygen saturation level climb back up. That would be, you know, that's a critical situation, but not uncommon. And just knowing what to do, having that suction kit at the bedside, knowing and being confident that you can get the gloves on quickly is really important. And then, you know, getting the oxygen level turned up as well. So have your equipment at the ready at the bedside. What if that happened and you had to go to the supply room and look for a suction kit? How would that turn out? So always having your emergency equipment at the bedside is crucial for patients with tracheostomy. But let's say you can't get that occlusion cleared. So this can happen and it's scary as heck. I'm not going to lie to you guys. So the first thing you could try is you know, and obviously make sure that you're covered by hospital policy with this, I would at that point be calling for respiratory therapy because they are the experts, right? But while I'm waiting for respiratory therapy to get there, I might be thinking about some other things that could be done. They could be that you take out the inner cannula and put in a fresh one again, Make sure you've got one at the bedside. You still don't want to have to go run to the supply room to get one or call down to central supply to get one. You should have one at the bedside. Um, A lot of times um, that will do the trick, just changing out the inner cannula that's clogged, putting in a fresh one. If the occlusion is further down and past that inner cannula, then that's when you're definitely going to want that help. So I've already got help coming. And then in that case, most likely you'll be manually bagging the patient with the BVM with that bag valve mask. And in theory, this pressure ventilation that you're doing can push that occlusion farther down into the airway. But the chances of it occluding the entire airway if you push it farther down are, you know, weighed against the fact that it is including the entire airway right now. The patient will need what's called a bronchoscopy to actually get that occlusion out. So that would be the MD coming to the bedside and doing a bronchoscopy at that time. And then patients can get fluids, they can get nebulized treatments to help keep their secretions thin so that they can cough them up so that this type of emergency doesn't happen on the regular. Because can you imagine going through that on a repeated basis? It would be terrifying as the patient experiencing that. So then another type of tracheostomy emergency is dislodgement. So what if, let's say you've got a confused patient or maybe a child who's not really following instructions very well, who pulls out their entire tracheostomy tube. So that is the stuff that I always worried about as a bedside nurse, especially when the tracheostomy was new and the patient wasn't used to having it just yet. So there can be that kind of dislodgement where the patient pulls it out. It is sutured in place, but you know, people can be extremely determined. So even though most tracheostomies initially are sutured in place, definitely know that it could become dislodged. Absolutely, yes. So an accidental dislodgement could occur with You know, again, that patient being confused, when you're repositioning patients, turning patients, if the patient has a lot of secretions, that can contribute to a dislodgement, and poorly secured tracheostomy ties as well. So let's say that the entire apparatus comes out. So you have a couple of options here. You can put it back in, or... It would really depend on the patient's condition. Wait and see how they do. So if the patient has a chronic tracheostomy, then when that whole apparatus comes out, that um, stoma will stay open. And the patient can most likely in some cases breathe okay-ish just through that stoma, which buys you a little bit of time to grab that fresh uh, replacement that is at your bedside. But if your patient is ventilator dependent, then you're going to definitely need to act fast. If your patient has a brand new tracheostomy, you're definitely going to act fast. So let's say it's a chronic tracheostomy, and it usually takes at least seven days for the stoma to stay open if the apparatus is removed. But of course, this can vary on the patient, on their skin integrity, and the ability of their skin to heal. But with a chronic tracheostomy that is, you know, air quotes, stable upon removal of the tubing, here's what you should do. And again, refer to hospital policy as it may differ. Give the patient some oxygen, okay, even if they were on room air with the tracheostomy before, give them some extra oxygen because they may have some difficulty breathing well. Monitor that patient, of course, for any changes in their vital signs, increased work of breathing, signs of hypoxia, signs of distress. You're going to alert the MD and the respiratory therapist. And then anticipate that trach tube being replaced. So hopefully you've got that stuff at the bedside. And if the patient shows signs of respiratory compromise, then you're calling a code. So know that you can always call a code if the patient decompensates, okay? So dislodgement with a chronic tracheostomy, depending on how dependent on oxygen the patient is, will really guide how you approach that, Okay if it's a fresh tracheostomy you know less than 7 days old this patient's most more likely to become unstable if a dislodgement occurs because you know they've got that trach placed in the in the first place for a very serious reason Again, most fresh tracheostomies will be sutured in place, but this does not mean that they are not ever going to be dislodged. It can still happen. And if a fresh tracheostomy becomes dislodged, this is an absolute emergency. So you're calling a code on this, a respiratory code. You want to grab the Ambu bag and start ventilating your patient. You want other hands in the room. If the trach is still sutured in place, but just, you know, completely dislodged and out of position, um, most likely what they will have you do or the physician will do is they'll cut the sutures and remove the tube and then the MD may try to reinsert that tracheostomy tube or... Intubate the patient um, with an endotracheal tube. So that's what would happen with a fresh tracheostomy. So when you've got a patient with a fresh tracheostomy, you are gentle with them and that tracheostomy, and you're hyper aware of it whenever you're moving the patient, okay? Anytime you're doing anything around that trache, you're being super, super careful and you're keeping a very close eye on it to see if it's extending out farther than it should from the patient's stoma. So reinserting a tracheostomy tube, hopefully you have supplies at the bedside to reinsert the tube should you need to. So this includes emergency equipment at the bedside of the obturator that came with the patient's current tracheostomy tube. A spare tube that is typically one size down from the current, in some cases, the same size may work as well. But the typical standard is one that's one size down. So that it's nice and easy to enter, um, insert, and then lubricant if you need to insert it quickly, syringe for inflating the cuff if it's a cuffed tracheostomy, and then foam trache ties for securing the new trach once it's in place. So your respiratory therapist should have all of this emergency equipment at the bedside, but always double check. Um, make sure you know where it is in the room. Okay, it should be in a consistent place every time, but just double check. So to reinsert the tracheostomy tube, that's when you use that obturator. And you want to know where that is, of course, again, at all times. So typically the obturator that came with the patient's trach, in my facility, I believe we tape it to the wall at the head of the bed. So we always, always, always know where it is. Your facility may do something different. And the reason for this is so that you know where it is and you can grab it quickly if you need it. Ideally, you would want a clean, fresh tube, but if that's not possible, and if the current tube is the only one you've got, get it in there and worry about changing it under more controlled, more clean conditions later once the patient's oxygen status is stabilized, okay? Now, when we're reinserting that tracheostomy tube, remove the inner cannula if it has one, from the new tube. So you now just have that outer cannula. And then if the cuff is inflated, you would deflate the cuff, not all tubes have a cuff again. And then you place that obturator into that outer cannula and lubricate the tip of the outer cannula and the operate obturator and that just makes insertion a little bit easier. And then you place that outer cannula into the patient's stoma. And remember, it's got the obturator in it. And then you hold that tracheostomy tube in place by the little flange on the sides there and remove the obturator. And then you can insert the inner cannula if your tube has one, and most of them do. And then inflate the cuff if present. Most likely, the respiratory therapist is going to be doing most of this. But if you're the only one in the room, I wanted you to have a general idea of how that's done. And then, of course, you would secure it with the tracheostomy ties. So again, the whole thing has come out we're going to remove the inner can we're going to grab our new tube okay we got a new one at the bedside because we're smart and prepared take the inner cannula out put the obturator in if it's inflated at the cuff we're going to make sure the inflation is off lubricate it to make it easier to insert put that outer cannula into the stoma with the obturator in place hold it in place Pull the obturator out, put the inner cannula in, and secure it, okay? If you are unable to insert that tracheostomy tube for any reason, then you could try one that's even a little smaller if you have it handy. If that doesn't work, hopefully the doc's already on their way, but if that doesn't work, you want to make sure that somebody gets there ASAP to help this patient, okay? Hemorrhage is another tracheostomy emergency that can be extremely critical and really scary. So this would probably be one of the scariest things that can happen with a tracheostomy. It can be for a variety of reasons. It can be due to the formulation of granulation tissue around that tube. It can be due to excessive suctioning, bleeding from a nearby injury or surgical site, infection, Can cause bleeding or even a fistula can develop. So it's not always just the very fresh tracheostomies that are at risk for bleeding. It could be anyone. If the patient has a coagulopathy, like maybe their platelets are 15 or their INR is 10 because they were overdosing on their Coumadin, then this is an even bigger emergency. So, what do you do if your patient's stoma starts to hemorrhage? You need help right away get extra hands in there, call the MD, call the RT, get them their stat. Get your uh, PPE on if you have time, and hopefully you do. You want mask and goggles because there's going to be blood flying around as the patient coughs and hemorrhages. And you want to keep that tracheostomy tube clear with gentle suctioning to keep it clear of blood. You don't want to make the bleeding worse. Um, don't be so gentle that you're not helping the situation, but you want to try to keep that too clear of blood so that they can get oxygen in, in severe cases, it will just keep bleeding and bleeding. Anticipate some labs being drawn on this patient. You know, Once you get that crisis under control, the MD is going to want some labs, most likely that would be, you know, a, a hemoglobin, hematocrit, or a CBC, platelets, um, a PT, PTT, INR, things like that. If the patient has not already been uh, blood typed, you might anticipate that being done as well because they may need a transfusion. They may need a massive transfusion. It really depends on how much bleeding is occurring. And when people say massive transfusion, that is a protocol That is done for patients that are basically bleeding out right in front of you. And what it does is it enables, and I don't know if this is for every facility at the facility where I work, and I assume it's pretty standard, it enables you to get four units of blood all at once and just immediately transfuse them. We use paper charting so that we don't have to wait for any um, technology holdups that could delay giving the blood. We do all the charting of the massive transfusion on paper, and we have a systematic fast process for getting that blood in as quickly as possible. If the patient continues to bleed, then you can anticipate they're probably going to get some kind of surgery um, emergently to fix that. And you could even you know, if it's a coagulopathy, then maybe they're going to get FFP, something to help the blood clot as well. Sometimes finger pressure in the sternal notch can help stop or slow bleeding that's coming from deep within the stoma itself, you would have to, you know, know where the bleeding is coming from for that to work. And then some hospital policies may recommend inflating the tracheostomy cuff higher than normal up to like 50 mils of air to to provide uh, like a tamponade against that bleeding if it's occurring around the site of the cuff itself. So those are some tracheostomy emergencies. And yeah, guys, they can be scary. So for an occlusion, you're basically suctioning out the occlusion. It's going to be a little bit different if they're on a vent and have inline suctioning. When you guys learn how to do inline suctioning, you'll learn that you pre-oxygenate And then you do that suctioning and, you know, you don't do it for each pass longer. I want to say it's longer than 10 seconds. And you want to watch the patient's response throughout that. Hopefully you're clearing the occlusion. They may cough because the suction catheter, it goes pretty deep and it's irritating and it makes them cough, but that's good because then it can help them cough up the occlusion as well. And then if you're doing it by hand, Suctioning that involves sterile gloves and it's a whole two-handed process. So you want to have that suction kit at the bedside. If the patient you know has a severe occlusion, that's when you may need to bag them manually, call a respiratory code, get the EMD in there, and anticipate a possible bronchoscopy happening. If it's a dislodgement, You know, you have options to, depending on if it's a chronic trach, if the patient's uh, vent dependent or not, you can um, obviously, you know, replace tracheostomy tube. You want to always have that fresh secondary set at the bedside and then The hemorrhage, you know, keeping the airway as clear as possible and anticipating some lab work and a possible emergent surgical procedure of some kind. So I hope that helps you guys with your confidence in approaching patients with tracheostomies. Most of the time, nothing happens, um, but I want you to be ready for the what ifs because when you've got a solid foundation with the what ifs then you feel a lot more confident walking into clinical for sure because you know um what to do if something happens, at the very least, you'll know that if you see something abnormal, you'll know to call for help. Okay, that would be the main thing. Get extra hands in there, get help. So that does it for us today. I want to remind you guys that our January 2021 planners are on sale in the Etsy shop. And I'm super excited to announce that we have a half size. So a our regular one is eight and a half by 11. So we have one that's half that size. And we have a printer that a lot of my customers have been using for a while now. And they are really good at printing those little half size ones as well as the full size ones. So check those out at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash straight a nursing I will link to that in the show notes as well and then I will also link to there's a blog post about all this tracheostomy stuff because I realize there's a lot of steps and this or that and what ifs so it might be easier for you to actually read it as well so I'll link to that and I will see you back here next week I hope you guys are all doing great and keep doing the rating and the reviewing of the podcast, it helps me to see that I'm helping you. It keeps me motivated and excited for sure. So I'll see you guys back here next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.